the Bible teaches us that, that there, is, there is fantastic p- uh, power in unity. I mean, when you consider the building of the Tower of Babel, the people were together and they were of one mind and they were unified in their purpose. And listen to what God said in Genesis eleven six. 6. He said, look, the, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. There is power in unity. We even see it in the New Testament. I don't have this on the screen, but Jesus said that whenever two or three, what? Agree as touching anything, that there is power in that unity. So it's quite clear that the Bible recognizes the tremendous power in unity. And today, I want to look specifically at partnering with your pastor. And if there's ever been a time in the history of the world when the people of God need to get together in unity and partner with their pastor, it is now. It is today in the world that we live. You know, uh, a lot of lay people, and and I'm going to say this, you know, as I talk about this, I'm going to share some statistics and some things about uh, being a pastor. I'm going to open myself. It's a very vulnerable place when you start talking about some of these things. But I want to say this right up front, uh, all these things that I'm going to be saying, it's not a, you know, a poor, pity poor Pastor Dave kind of deal. Uh, It's not the whole point of it. It's just I want you to understand the struggles that pastors face and the things that we deal with, because that's in knowing that, we, you can partner together with me in a better way. So uh, a lot of people, you know, think that pastors really don't have many problems. You know, that, that they, they mistakenly believe that because they're in full-time Christian service, they must have special favor from God that protects them from the ordinary difficulties of life. But the, I can tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. Pastors experience all the same difficulties that you do, plus they have the incredibly demanding job of leading a church. And Bill Hybels, uh, he, he said that, the most, that most lay people have no idea how difficult it is to run a church And he believes himself that the church is the most leadership intensive enterprise in society and it's more difficult than leading in business, which he has done both. The work of the church is is building and and redeeming lives and it's an intangible process. You know, when you're manufacturing something, if you're making something, you can be working along and you see your product right in front of you. But when you're working with things like uh, the growth of the kingdom and and change lives and people, it's not something that you can see with your eyes. And and we're we're also also working with with a a staff that's typically almost all volunteers. And here's the thing about volunteers. They can leave whenever they want to. They can quit if they're disgruntled. They can walk out if they don't like something. And, and, and then you're, each individual life that you're dealing with that God calls you to reach, you have to reach that person in a unique way because there is no mass production in the kingdom of God. And even when recruiting workers, uh, you know, the, the uh, pastor can't offer monetary incentives or benefits. The best that I can offer you when I say, would you come and volunteer and work in the church? I can offer you work without pay, time away from your families, and if things go according to Scripture, suffering is part of your reward. That's the best, that's the, you know, take it or leave it. That's the offer that's on the table. And you put into this tough environment a person whose people expect him to be a great communicator in the pulpit and an incredible organizer and leader in the office and a perfect husband and flawless parent at home. That's a heavy burden for anybody to carry. In, in his book, uh, Pastors at Risk, the author H.B. London, I think he's going to be with the Lord now, he quotes some 
startling statistics from a survey that he conducted. Actually, he didn't conduct it. It was conducted by Fuller Institute. And here's what the survey said. 90% of pastors work more than 46 hours per week. 80% believe pastoral ministry has affected their families negatively. Think about that. 80% have said being in ministry has hurt my family. 33% say that being in ministry is an outright hazard to their family. 75% report a significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. If it's only once, I say, you're doing great. (laughs) 50%, listen to this, and there's so many days I feel like this. 50% feel unable to meet the needs of the job. 90% 90% feel they were inadequately, inadequately trained to cope with, cope with ministry demands. I mean, that's true. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting in an office and somebody be uh, presenting me with a bad situation or a dilemma, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, they didn't talk about this in Bible college. <laughs> 70%, 7 out of 10 say they have a lower self-image than when they started in the ministry. 40% report a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. 70%, I think this is the most heartbreaking of all, 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. Now these statistics are heartbreaking. And they show how difficult the struggle is for many pastors and how much they need your assistance. I'll be honest, I wish I was in somebody else's church preaching this today because it would be a lot less Uh, uncomfortable if I was talking about somebody else's church, you know. But according to John Maxwell, the following are are the top five difficulties that pastors face. The first one is loneliness. As I said, 70% of all pastors don't have a close friend. And that really says a lot about how lonely pastors get. Sometimes it, it, it comes to uh, to some pastors because they don't want the people to know how difficult things, they are, things are. Sometimes pastors uh, are afraid to, get, uh, to make themselves available to build friendships because they of different experiences that they may have had. Uh, they're reluctant to be transparent and vulnerable because sometimes it's a pride issue because they, they're, they think they're supposed to have all the answers and we don't have all the answers. And, and, and then, the, then there's the factor that leadership itself naturally tends to to isolate leaders from other people. So there's the loneliness. And then another need is stress. Well, this is, you know, not unique to pastoring, obviously. Everybody faces this. But church leaders are highly susceptible to to stress. Part of that is that all their work has eternal consequences. And that can be a heavy burden. You know, I I can tell you that when I'm dealing with a situation and, uh, and, and someone's soul is lying in the balance. That's a heavy weight. And a pastor, that a pastor feels for his congregation, wanting them to know the fullness of what God has for them and not sometimes knowing how to help them get there. There's also pastors are highly visible. They, are, they, are in their, they and their families live in a fishbowl. You know, they are subject to comments and criticisms from everyone who sees them. Uh, and and uh, there, there are expectations placed on the pastor and their family many times that are not placed on anyone else. 
by the way, I want to say, you know, that you as a church, you treat us so, so beautifully. And you have loved on, on my, my girls so much. I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am. But uh, Peter Wagner wrote in a book called Prayer Shield, he said, The pastor is closely observed, and it's no secret that just knowing this place is a difficult burden on pastors. They need supernatural help to handle that situation well. And because so many pastors generally love people and they want to help everybody they can, sometimes stress comes because they're pulled in too many directions, trying to do too many things, trying to help everybody when it's just impossible. I, I, I read this a while back of, that after hundreds of years, the perfect pastor has been found. Uh, he is the church leader who will please everyone. Here, here's his, here's, let me describe him to you. He preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he condemns sin but never steps on anybody's toes. He works from 8 in the morning till 10 at night doing everything from preaching sermons to sweeping. He makes $400 per week and gives $100 a week to the church, drives a late model car, buys lots of books, wears fine clothes, and has a nice family. He always stands ready to contribute to every other good cause as well. He is 36 years old and has been preaching for 40 years. <laughs> he is tall on the short side, heavy set in a thin sort of way, and handsome. He has eyes of blue or brown to fit the occasion and wears his hair parted in the middle, his left side dark and straight, right side brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face because he has a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all of his time evangelizing the lost, and is always found in his study if he is needed. Unfortunately, he burned himself out and died at the age of 32. <laughs> you know, trying to be everything to everybody is an impossibility. But it places, there's that, that sense that the pastor wants to take care of his people and that always feels that. You know, another big reason for stress, and this is one I've experienced many, many times, is, is that we deal with people's problems on a day-to-day -day basis. When somebody comes in and they lay their, open their soul, and they begin to tell you about the pain that they've walked through or that they're going through, when you leave your office and go home, how do you turn your emotions off? You know, how do you, you can't leave your, when you're a pastor, you can't leave your work in the, at the office. And you spend all night long and, and your family's saying, what's wrong? You just seem preoccupied. And then you can't sleep. Many sleepless nights that I've spent as a pastor uh, just thinking and, and praying and, 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 and uh, dare I say, worrying over people in the congregation. How, how can you go home and put it out of your mind? when you've been dealing with a heartbreaking situation? And the answer is you, you can't. Another, another area of need for pastors is feelings of inadequacy. Nine out of ten pastors experience feelings of, feelings of inadequacy because they don't feel as though they've been equipped for the job that they do. And I believe that you'd probably be hard-pressed to find any other pro profession where that, that uh, statistic is so high. 
Again, it's because when you're dealing with people's problems from day to day, you're faced with some extraordinarily difficult situations. And there's no way to be able to prepare anybody for the things that you have to deal with to help people walk through them. And many times, as a result, pastors feel inadequate to fulfill their calling. And all this, this leads to another one. This is a huge problem. And we've seen evidence of this in recent months. But, but there is a problem with depression among pastors. And you, you, we've seen uh, recently even pastors that have committed suicide. And, and it seems even more shocking to us when it's a pastor that does it. But the pressures of leadership along with loneliness and stress and feelings of, of inadequacy can, can push leaders into depression. And before we judge them too harshly, I want you to remember this. Elijah himself, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, he suffered depression. Listen to this uh, from 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba, Be- excuse me, let me try it again. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and listen to that line, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. If that's not depression, I don't know what is. That he's going out to the desert and sits under a tree and says, Lord, I can't take it anymore. Just kill me. Just let me die right here. Now, I want you to understand the, the timing of this. Elijah had, had been obedient to God. He had just gone through the process of calling down fire from heaven to show God's power. And, and he had just defeated all of the false prophets of Baal. And, and, he, and he had just finished praying for this lengthy, trout, the lengthy, lengthy drought to end. And all of these great victories on the heels of all. He had run faster than a chariot being empowered by the Spirit. And all of this was going on. And after all of that happened, yet he still felt like giving up. And I believe part of it was he was exhausted. All the things that he had gone through and, and all the things that had happened. And, and all of this was happening. He sits under a tree and prayed that he might die right after this great victory. So it shouldn't surprise us that today's church leaders suffer the same thing. That there is this epidemic among pastors of depression. And here's the thing. With most pastors, you will never know it. Because there's this sense that I can't let anybody know. So it's a difficult situation. Another area where, of need for pastors is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. You know, there's something, and one day I'll preach on it, but uh, I've, over the years I've come up with, and it probably will get longer over the years because, it, you know, the longer you go, the more you learn, the more you observe. But I observed, I've observed that the devil works in certain ways. He, he's not really particularly creative, and he does the same things in churches and in our lives over the time. And I've come up with things, uh, these things as the six D's of the devil. How, how do you like that? Six D's of the devil. Here they are. The first one, and we see it all the time, the first one is division. 
The, the, the devil will always begin to try. When the church begins to move forward, when God begins to move in a church, uh, uh, he will always, the first thing he will do is try to bring division. Not just, and I'm not even talking about a major split within the church. He's going to try to bring division between individuals in the church. He's trying to, going to try to bring division about all kinds of, of, not, of things that don't matter uh, it, within a church. He's going to try to bring that division. And, and then once he begins to, uh, tries that, the second step of it, he not only brings division, but he brings in distraction. Sometimes the division is the distraction, but he'll try to distract us away from what he's calling us to do and, 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 and pull us to things that are good but are not, but are not best and, and distract us and get our eyes off the goal and get our eyes off the calling. And the third one, and all of these lead one to another, this leads right into a, a sense of discouragement because that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to discourage you. And if he can, if he can divide and, and distract, then all of a sudden you're going to begin to feel discouraged because nothing is happening, because your vision has been taken off of what really matters. And then once discouragement sets in, if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come in and begin to help you with that, if you don't overcome that, that leads to disillusionment. And disillusionment is when discouragement goes, uh, hog wild and you begin to say I don't even know if any of this is, is worth anything anymore and you feel disillusioned about what God has called you to do and what he's trying to do and when disillusionment takes place that leads into despair where you say I don't even care anymore I don't even know what to do this is Elijah he said just Lord just let me die and then the, when despair takes root that leads to the final D of deception because you say, I don't even care. I don't even think God exists anymore. And you fall to the deception of the enemy. That's a whole different sermon. But you know what? The, the evil one, he, he knows and he watches for the right time to attack us. He watches for the right time to attack uh, pastors. And he's especially active before and advanced for the God's kingdom. And he's especially active right after the victory of a kingdom and uh, for the kingdom. And he's especially active when a leader is just plain tired. You know, Satan desires to attack believers during times of weaknesses. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is a great example. Jesus went without food during 40 days in the desert following his baptism in the Jordan. I honestly, I don't think I could do that. 40 days is a long time. If I go 40 hours, that's, I'm doing pretty good. Can I get an amen? So this is a, a great time of weakness. And Satan saw this as a, as a great opportunity to try to tempt him. And, and we know this is the way the enemy thinks because in Luke 4, 13, after Jesus had defeated him by quoting scripture, it said, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. He's saying, okay, I'm going to leave him alone. I'm going to wait for a better moment. I'm going to look for the moment when I can step in and do something. And any time a person is doing something for the kingdom of God, Satan is going to try to stop that. And I'm here to tell you that, that it's been my experience that the higher you go up the ladder of Christian leadership, the higher you go on Satan's hit list. And that means pastors and other church leaders are going to be under continuous spiritual attack because they spend the majority of their time working to build God's kingdom. And Satan understands this. He understands that if he can get to the leader, then the followers are going to be hurt. He understands that if he can smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. He knows that if he can hurt the pastor, he's going to hurt the whole church. 
Well, I want to tell you all, I say all that to say this. Jesus never intended for pastors to bear the burden alone. I read about a little illustration. Jesus was walking along one day when he came upon a man crying and he said, my friend, what's wrong? The man replied, I'm blind. Can you help me? Jesus healed the man and he went on his way. Jesus continued along and came upon another man sitting and crying. He said, good friend, what's wrong? He said, I'm lame and I can't walk. Can you help me? And Jesus healed the man and they both went down the road. As Jesus continued on, he came upon a third man crying and Jesus said, good friend, what's wrong? He said, I'm a pastor. And Jesus sat down and wept with him. See, the Lord understands the burden on a pastor. But he never intended the pastor to carry the load alone. And, 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 and I say that as, as much of an indictment as for us pastors because we have tried to play the part of super pastor and the cape doesn't fit. There's no such thing. So what's the answer? And am I telling you all this so you'll feel sorry for pastors? No, not at all. Please do not. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I, I, I love, I can't imagine doing anything else besides what God called me to do. I love being a pastor. Uh, you know, I, I'm just trying to help you understand that, it, that being a pastor is not necessarily easy that sometimes it is difficult, sometimes it is painful. Uh, and I want you to understand that because there's an answer for all of this and there's a way, that we, the way forward where we as a church and, and as pastors of the church, we can, we can move forward in a much better way. The, the answer is to stand shoulder to shoulder with your pastors and do battle for the souls of men with your pastors to partner with your pastors in prayer. See, feeling sorry for your pastors is not the answer. That gets nothing accomplished. But I want you to understand the needs so that you can be more motivated to say, okay, I get it now. I'm going to stand with my pastors in prayer. I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with them. I'm going to help them carry the load that God has placed on their shoulders. You see, partnering with your pastors in prayer, that's the answer. And this idea of partnership is not new. Matthew 18 says, again, I tell you that if two, of you on, uh, on, uh, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. We also see it in Romans. Uh, Paul asked for, for prayer from the Romans. And when he wrote to the Ephesians, he said, would you pray for me? When he wrote to the Colossians, he said, I need you to pray for me. And, there, and among other letters that he wrote, we can see uh, where, where he began to say, please pray for me, please pray for me. And one of the earliest examples in Scripture of partnering with, with leadership in prayer is actually found in Exodus chapter 17. We all know the story. It's one of my favorite stories. It's when the Amalekites attacked the children of Israel and there were two men, Aaron and Hur, who stood with Moses, their leader, and partnered with him by praying for him and supporting him. This is what it said, Exodus 17, 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. 
As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And when we partner, when you partner with your pastors, what you're doing is you're saying, Pastor, I'm going to hold your hands up in prayer so that you will, your hands will be steady and we'll be able to keep moving forward for the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you that pastors and board members cannot do it all alone. Moses was one of the greatest men of God who ever lived, yet he still could not do it alone. Ministry is never a one-man show. It requires teamwork. You, you know, now we don't, we don't, we don't, we, we understand that, but in America we're a little different because we tend to admire the, the rugged individualists more than we admire team players. You know, we, we love movies about one man who overcomes overwhelming odds all by himself, don't we? We love that. We, we love Rambo. And that's what we want. We want Pastor Rambo. That's what we want, you know? We admire the lone warriors who can take whatever the enemy can dish out. The problem is, is that you can ask any military leader, that does not work in real life. Rambo does not survive in real life, and it does not work in real ministry. Aaron and Hur knew that Moses needed them to stand with him. And so Aaron and Hur were committed and aggressive prayer partners ready to jump in and help their leader be all that God intended him to be. And Aaron and Hur did three things that, that every one of us in this room can do. Number one, they saw the need. That's what I'm trying to help you see this morning, to help you see the need. Number two, this is the opportunity you'll have in just a few moments. They seized the moment. They didn't let it go by. They said, we see a need. We're going to do something about it. And then as a result, when they, when they saw the need and they seized the moment, at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, they shared in the victory. And that's the same kind of assistance that church leaders and pastors need today. Peter Wagner said in the book that I mentioned earlier, he said, I'm personally convinced that the following statement is true. The most underutilized source of spiritual power in our churches today is intercession for Christian leaders. I want you to know that on this Pastor Appreciation Month, the greatest support anyone can give a pastor is to pray for him and to pray with him or her. So I want to close this morning by talking about how to pray for your pastors. Number one, and I hope you're writing these down because I want you praying. Pray, pray for personal needs. And among those personal needs, pray for humility. Pray that God will give your pastors servants' hearts. Pray that we'll be teachable that we're ready to serve and we're ready to learn. Pray that we'll be humble enough to admit it when we're wrong. Anybody here have a hard time admitting when you're wrong? Okay. So, you know, so a few of us here. The rest of you, I don't know if I believe you or not. I'm not sure. But I know you're not going to raise your hand after you didn't raise the first time. I thought I was wrong once, but I was just mistaken. But... Now, pray, pray that we will write, we'll rely fully upon God and not lean on our own understanding. 
not lean on our own strength because that's not going to be enough. And pray, and this is, this is one that I pray for for myself that I al- actually almost, I'm almost afraid to pray it when I pray it. But I know it's so necessary. Pray that there will be a godly brokenness in our hearts. Because God uses broken things. There's a whole, a whole message there that I could preach about uh, Gideon that the light shone out when the, when the, the vessels that were, that were hiding the torches were broken. God uses broken things. And so I'm not talking about being broken in sin. I'm talking about being broken in my spirit because, because I see what the devil's doing to, to, to the world. And being broken in my spirit knowing that God has so much more that we're missing out on. And, and that's the kind of brokenness, that, that, that humble brokenness before God to say, God, I see and I'm, I know that you're enough and I'm not enough. Number two, pray for healthy relationships. Ask God to help your pastors be patient. Not just with other people. But for me, it's harder to be patient with myself. So pray that God will help me be patient with myself. Ask God to help your pastor to interact positively with difficult people in the congregation. And you say, who are you talking about? Well, it's obviously not you, right? So it must be somebody else and just don't point fingers right now. But, you know, there are some people that, uh, uh, you know, we love dearly, but are a lot of, just a lot harder to deal with. Can you get, can you get it? You know, understand what I'm saying? And ask God to give your pastors true, godly, spirit-filled friends that will be there for them no matter what. I saw one of my friends like that just this last weekend. I went and did a wedding for his son, my friend Jeff, who lives in the Nashville area. This is the closest we've ever lived since, since we've, for, for years and years now. He's one of those friends that God has given me where we might not see each other for a year, but when we walk in the room, it's like we haven't been apart. And we can immediately begin talking about the things of God and where we are with the Lord and, and pray that God nurtures that in our lives as pastors. Number three, pray for our health. Ask your, God to give your pastors good health. Pray that we'll have the strength to do what we need to do. And, uh, and the older I get, the more I need you to pray that. I'm telling you that right now. And the next area is family needs. Pray that your pastors would make family their top priority, second only to their relationship with God. The demands of ministry can severely damage a Christian leader's family life. And I feel like the Lord has been gracious to me. And, and uh, I've never, I can tell you in this church here that I've never felt any pressure when we had a family uh, outing or something go- going on. Never felt any pressure of, of anybody saying, well, you should be at so-and-so. So I thank you for that. But pray that God will help us to m- make family a priority. Pray for provision for the families. That God would meet the needs of your pastors. And this one's a very special one to me. Uh, I'm asking you to pray 
that my girls for their whole lives will know and love Jesus. And for the Johnsons that their children will know and love Jesus. See, being a pastor's kid can either be a great experience or it can be like a lot of pastor's kids out there that have walked away from the church because of what they've seen happen in their, in their parents' lives. And so, you know what? I know where I'm going. I know Julie is secure. And, and my girls love the Lord. I'm so proud of them. But, but, but just pray with me that God would keep them. I know he's got a plan for their lives. He's got a plan for the Johnson's kids' lives. That little Keegan, when God gets a hold of that energy, he's just going to turn, turn the world upside down for Jesus. So pray for our kids. And pray for spiritual needs. Pray for, the, for time alone with God. You know, life is crazy. And it's so easy to get overwhelmed with events and needs and activities. So pray that we will prioritize our time with God. Because there's always something calling for our attention. We, but, but until we have our time with God, what's the point of all those other things? Pray for anointing. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, a leader can do nothing of value. So pray for a constant renewal of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Pray for integrity. You know, your pastors struggle with temptation just like any other person. I have not yet arrived in heaven, therefore I am not yet perfect. And, and so I'm still, you know, I still face temptation like anybody else. In fact, I, I believe in many ways that for leaders of the church that the enemy will try to tempt them even more than other people. So pray that, that we as pastors, we will live lives of uncompromised integrity, that we will always, under the, uh, the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, do that, that which honors Christ. Pray, this is a no-brainer, pray for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Pray for prote protection in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, chapter 10, or, yeah, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Boy, we got to remember that line right there. Every time, you know, we go back to the six D's of the devil. Every time that the devil tries to bring division in, we need to be begin quoting that. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. My struggle is not against this person that's, that's come against me. My struggle is not against this person that wants to argue. My struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, uh, the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So I read that to say, pray that your pastors would put on the full armor of God. And and then when you pray that they will walk with the full armor of God, then I want you to say, now I'm going to put on the full armor of God and I'm going to get in the battle with them. That's what needs to happen. And then pray for congregational needs. Pray that we will have God's heart for lost people and that we'll make evangelism a priority in our lives. Pray that we'll have wisdom to know God's agenda for Restoration Life Church. Our vision means nothing. God's vision means everything. And all we want to do, can I tell you, this is what I believe. I believe this is spiritual leadership boiled down to a nutshell. Spiritual leadership is hearing from God then doing what he says. So pray that we will hear from God and then have the courage to do what he says. Because, you know, anytime you pray for wisdom, this is a little side note here. Anytime you pray for wisdom for you or for anybody else, there should be a correlating prayer that goes along with it. Because anytime I pray for wisdom, I say, Lord, give me wisdom in this situation. The second thing I need is I I need to say, okay, Lord, now give me the courage to act on the wisdom you've given me. Because sometimes I know what the Spirit says I need to do, but it's a scary thing to do. Anybody been there? So pray for that for your pastors. And then pray for workers in the harvest. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So I'm asking you to pray. Say, God, raise up workers in the harvest at at Restoration Life Church. And then here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you read that passage, it's recorded twice in Matthew and in Luke, where, where Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says, he says, lift up your eyes. He said, look at the harvest, pray for workers in the harvest. But in both occasions, you know what happened right after that? Right after he, he's told them to pray for workers in the harvest, he sent them out two by two. They became part of the answer to their own prayer. He said, pray for workers in the harvest. And then he said, okay, now I'm going to send you out as workers in the harvest. So pray, and as you pray, make yourself available and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? How can I serve? How can I make a difference in the church and in the kingdom? And I say all that to say, your pastors need you. I know you need us, and we're happy to be here any way that we can be for you, but we need you as well. So I encourage you to pray for your pastors and pray for your church leaders. And by praying for your pastors, you'll be partnering with them in the ministry and giving them protection and and, and empowerment. And with your help, I I believe with your help, the pastors of your church will be able to go places that we, we otherwise could not have gone and will be able to do things that we would not be able to do alone. And when, here's the great thing, when we succeed as pastors, you succeed as well. When the victory is won through the, through, in the pastor's life, you share in that victory, just like Aaron and her with, with Moses. So, uh, so I say never underestimate the power of partnering with your pastor in prayer. Partner with your pastor in every way possible. Get involved. Do something. Because when we all help carry the load, then it's lighter for everyone.
And I want, I want to close by reading this short little somewhat semi-humorous thing to you. Here's a, here's a little primer for you on how to get rid of your pastor. You ready? Ready? <laughs> some of you suddenly, some of you, some of you are half asleep, and all of a sudden, all those heads go. Here's how to get rid of your pastor. During the Sunday morning message, listen closely and take notes. Look your pastor straight in the eye. Occasionally, nod your head and say Amen. Begin to make serious efforts to apply the life lessons you learn from the sermons. In six months, he'll preach himself to death. Number two, pat your pastor on the back and brag on his good points two or three times a month, and he'll probably work himself to death. Rededicate your life to Christ and ask the preacher for some job to do, preferably some lost person you could win to Christ, and he'll probably die of heart failure right on the spot. (laughs) One note of caution, however, if you try any of these methods, you may find you don't want to get rid of your pastor at all. A pastor leads best when his people get behind him. And if you begin praying for your pastors today, there's no telling what may happen in our church tomorrow. So here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Because I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want you just praying for me. I want this to be a partnership, partnership in prayer. And so I've got, these, I've got these little cards here. And I'm going to need some help ha- passing these out. If I could get a couple of, a couple of people... Here we go. Three would be even better. Should be plenty for everybody to get one. On there, there's just a little check mark where you can say, I will make the commitment to pray for my pastors, my church, and my community. You can fill out your information on there. But on the back side of it, just a bunch of lines there. And here's what I want you to do on the back side of it. I want you to write down how we as your pastors can pray for you. Because I want you to pray for us, but we want to know how we can pray for you. And we're going to collect these in just a moment. We're going to give you, give you a minute to, to be able to, to fill this out and, and get ready to turn that in. Because, because listen, uh, first of all, what we're going to do is we're going to have those cards and, and, and we'll be able to go through those and begin to pray for those needs. And, and we want, we're going to pray for you. But, but when we pray for you, you know what this card does for me? You know what this card does for me? Is when I pull this stack out and I pull a card and look on the back side of it, I can look on the front side of it. I can say, oh, that person there, I know they're praying for me. I know they're praying for me. And if they're praying for me, then I know God's going to help me. And so we're going to pray for one another. We're going to, and, and this is a partnership that, listen, as I said, there's no greater gift you can give to any pastor than to say, I'm going to stand with you in prayer. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you to make that a priority in our church. And I believe with all my heart that as we do this, that, that God will honor this. God will bless this. And, and we as a church will move forward.